Amen. Amen. So, we are continuing our journey through the Bible, what the Bible means for us today as we are living our lives in 20th, 21st century Scotland. And we've been thinking about recently how the Bible has been put together, how it can be trusted, how it's God-breathed, how it's inspired, how it's the truth, and how we can trust it and its authority. But here's the next question. Do we actually read it, and do we actually do what it calls us to do? Is the Bible like any other book? Well, it's a bestseller. You know, we've mentioned that a few times already. But you don't read it like a Richard Osmond Thursday murder club or a Stephen King Firestarter or whatever Danielle Steele does. I'm not quite sure what she does, but I know the other two a little bit more. But you don't read the Bible that way because it's, it's not a begin at the beginning and, and go all the way through if you're taking it for the first time or maybe for the first time in a wee while. You, you probably need to begin in the middle as well as beginning at the beginning. So you, you do the beginning and you do the middle because that's the beginning of the next beginning, if that makes sense. I'm just confusing you. That's okay because it's good to be confused so you can then ask some questions. The thing is, the Bible is not like any other book. There are funny terms in it. There are sometimes there's funny language depending on the, the, the version you use. There are things that appear odd, and, and there are things that are horrifying. There is a lot going on in the Bible. So we need to have something called context, and we need to work at it. We need to actually take time and work at it. Because the Bible is not like any other book, we, we need to come expectant and ready, but also we need God's help as He helps us to see and be revealed through His written Word. So this morning we're going to be thinking about how we read the first part of the Bible, how we read the Old Testament. But first a wee gag. There was a, a, a chap lining up his golf shot on the 18th, just in front of the clubhouse, and he was taking ages. And his pal said to him, Bob, would you hurry up? Would you get this shot going? I want my lunch. And Bob said, oh, I just want to make a perfect shot because my boss is, is watching. I want to make that perfect shot. And his pal said, Bob, don't worry. There's no chance you can hit him from there. The Bible is not our enemy, and God is not some boss looking down to point fingers and tell us where we're wrong. He, he wants us to discover, He wants us to see that He is a God of love, He's a God of justice, He's a God of holiness, but He's a God of love who desperately wants us to be in relationship with Him. And this is how primarily He does it, through the Word and through the Spirit both together. But we need to, if we're going to be serious about this stuff, we need to break down the Bible into two parts. Thankfully, that's been done for us. So this week, we're going to take, I think, the, 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 the tougher section, the Hebrew Bible, or as we know it, the Old Testament. And if I was to ask you what your impressions of the Old Testament were, you would give me quite a lot of varied responses. Some of you would say, I don't understand it. 
Some of you say, I don't read it. Some of you say, it makes no sense because the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament, so I don't read it. If you say that, I'd love a discussion with you. I'd love a chat with you because I firmly believe that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, He's revealed for who He is, and He shows His love in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, He brings His Son for us all. There's lots of different, different views, different ideas about the Old Testament, and we can't cover it in, in, in this message this morning, but we can open your eyes, I hope, a little bit to it and get us thinking about what it all means as we want to walk with Jesus today. I'm, I'm reading a book just now from a chap called James Cowan, who is, is taking the journey of St. Anthony, one of the, the first kind of monks who went into the desert, a desert father. And he says in his book that the reading of Scripture today is an act of defiance in a culture of desire. And I quite like that. I quite like that idea that when we read this, we are defying the culture that we are around us who is desperately trying to fill us with all sorts of other things. So where is best to start in the Old Testament? Well, at the beginning, Genesis. Genesis is the word for beginnings. Genesis gives us an overview of creation. First of all, in Genesis chapter 1, everything is created by the Word of God, and everything is good. Now, we had a Bible study yesterday morning on Zoom, the, the, the Yorkie Bible study, and within moments, I think it was, it was Genesis chapter 3 we were studying, but within moments they went back to Genesis chapter 1 to discuss creation and how it's described in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. It's a, it's a hugely contentious, contentious passage, and there are many different views on it. But if you were to, give me, if you were to ask me what my view is, it is that God created the universe and all. I do not know how He did it, but in Genesis 1, it shows us that God did it. In Genesis chapter 2, we get a close-up. We get Adam and Eve, the perfect fellowship with God in the garden, what to do and what not to do about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and God's plan for marriage. And then in Genesis chapter 3, this is where it all goes wrong. So, we're just going to read the first 15 verses of Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. The serpent, devil, the enemy, says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What a wonderful picture that is. 
and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, I'm not going to make any jokes here. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Amen. Thanks be to God for the reading of His holy word. From this chapter, in the beginning of this book, the rest of the Bible deals with what God is trying to cope with. The damage that's been done here in this chapter is then, for the rest of the Bible, God showing how He's going to change this and bring His fellowship with humanity back. So, in this chapter, in this chapter we meet the enemy, serpent, Satan, devil, many names. In God's good creation, we recognize that there is one living in rebellion, and His only intent is to join, get others to join Him in rebellion against God. You know, the te- you know the story. You've known this story. You hear it even if you've never read the Bible. You know this story, the temptation of more, that the grass is always greener on the other side, and disaster always follows. At this point, sin and death enter into the world. They are ashamed. They're afraid, and they're banished. God, as He's walking in the garden, puts two together, and with heavy heart, He passes judgment. He's not only creator and king, but He's also holy and He's righteous. And the exile of His most loved creation begins. And so, God goes to work at how to bring us back to Him. So, the great problem of humanity, the great problem for you and me is revealed in these first three chapters. The reality of sin and of death, the reality of judgment someday. And we see this unfold not just through the Bible, but through the history of humanity. We've seen it just in this past week. We've seen it throughout these years. But there is hope. There is hope found even in the midst of judgment. Verse 15, where he says that your offspring, Eve's offspring, will crush the serpent's head. There it is. This is what is known as the first sign of good news. This is what theologians have called it. The first sign of good news that the gospel promise that the Son will destroy the devil and his works. 
And it's interesting, in verse 21, if you want to read on, I'd invite you to go and read on from this point. You may get stuck after Exodus. If, if, you, if you get that far, then I'd invite you to then maybe go to the Psalms after that and come back to Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy later when you've got strength. But in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3, we see that God clothes them. Even though He's sending them out from the garden, He clothes them. He clothes them with garments of skin. Now, at this point, as a vegetarian, I'm quite happy because they were, they were vegetarian before this point. I don't know if you've noticed that before, but uh, <laughs> that's going to cause some fun for folks as well. But at this point, someone has to die so that humanity can be clothed with animal skins. A death is needed to cover their shame. Death for sin is actually a recurrent theme throughout the Bible. So, what is the purpose of me having this wee jaunt through the first three chapters of Genesis? Well, what I would like to say is that we see the themes of the Bible laid out. Sin and death, judgment and salvation are all here. There are other key themes throughout the Bible that are related to these, and I want to dip into them this morning. And I think these are key to how we read the Old Testament. First of all, messianic prophecy. Throughout the Old Testament, there is a theme running through that the Messiah will come, the serpent crusher will come, if you wish, a Savior. And there are a series of predictions that unfold. Who will this be? Who will this serpent crusher be? Who will strike the, the snake's head and destroy his works? Well, we then meet Cain and Abel. We think, is this going to be the ones? Are they going to bring salvation? Well, no. Abel ends up dead and Cain a murderer. Is it going to be Noah? We've already heard Noah's story this morning. He saved them from the flood under God's direction, but no, he ends up naked and ashamed, oddly enough. And then there's Abraham. Abraham receives the call. He is, he is the father of the nations. He receives the call, and yet he's flawed too. And then as we get into Exodus through to Deuteronomy, you discover Moses. Moses, the, the greatest of the, the Jewish religion. Moses, who leads his people out of slavery in Egypt. Is he going to be the one? And yet, no, he is not. But just before his death, he reads these words in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 19. He says these words, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God near nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. I will raise up for them a prophet, the Lord says, from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. This is the messianic prophecy. This is the one who is coming. Who is he? You know the answer. You know where we're going, but let's go through the motions anyway. As the years go by, we discover through the Old Testament that the servant will be a descendant of David. 
He will be known as the Son of God. He will be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He will heal the sick, the blind, the deaf. He will be known as a prophet, a priest, and a king. He will be hated without cause. He will be betrayed by a friend. He will be killed beside criminals. He will die as a sacrifice. He will be buried in, an unknown, in, in a, someone else's grave. He will rise. He will ascend to heaven. He will establish a new covenant and an eternal kingdom. The promises in the Old Testament build upon each other again and again and again. And who is it? You know who it is. It is Jesus. He is the one who is the one who meets all these prophecies throughout the Old Testament. So when we read the Old Testament, we need to recognize that God has a plan and He is calling and He is answered. So there's Messianic prophecy, but there is also this theme of kingdom that God's kingdom will reign on earth. And it begins in Eden, where there's fellowship together, where we live under God's rule. The first five books of the Bible are concerned with the kingdom of Israel as it is born through the call of Abraham, through the slavery, and journey to the promised land. With the tabernacle and the temple, we discover how God is worshiped through the sacrifice system. We meet Joshua and the judges, and the kings, and especially King David. But he is not the defeater of evil. But we know and we hear through Second Samuel 7 that the Savior will be of the line of David. The kingdom, the earthly kingdom falls, and the exile in Babylon results. And again, eventually, they return from exile they discover that the temple and Jerusalem are in ruins. And the Old Testament ends with a grumbling people longing for a king that will not fail, for the kingdom to be restored, and they're awaiting the Savior who has not yet come. In the Middle East, when shepherds were tending their sheep, and at nighttime, if there was a whole pile of shepherds around with, with all their sheep, they would put them all together in a pen. And if they didn't have a gate, there would be one who would lie in front and, and make sure that, that no wild animals could get in. And then when the time came in the morning that each individual shepherd would want his sheep, he would call to his sheep. And in the midst of all the, all the sheep, his sheep would come as he called because they knew his voice. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, I believe that God is calling to his people and calling to us and pointing us to the great shepherd. So we have messianic prophecy. We have the theme of kingdom throughout the Old Testament. We also have the theme of covenant now, covenant is a funny word. They're probably the only place that you ever hear the word covenant these days is, if you're not looking in history, is in marriage. When there's a marriage in church, they're speaking, there's, the, the minister will speak of the holy covenant of marriage and what it is. But, but what a covenant is, is really a formal contract between God and His people. Historically, it was between kings and His subjects, and you would have servants of the king declaring all the, 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 the attributes of the king 
and it would be an invitation to his kingdom people to be living in obedience to him. That's what an ancient covenant was. It would be a list of blessings that you would get if you were obeying the covenant, and there would be penalties for breaking a covenant. Leviticus 18 verse 5 makes it pretty clear. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. That's what a covenant with God was all about. But the truth is, of course, that we fail, don't we? Yet God keeps His end of the bargain. And so we need a new covenant that doesn't rely upon us. Even when we try our hardest, we don't, we don't make it. You know, if we think of the best, if we think of the worst, say Hitler or Stalin or someone like that, you know, mass murderers, they're, they're right at the bottom. But if you think of Mother Teresa, maybe you would still, you could put her there. But God's standards are there. None of us, none of us can make it. We all fall short in some way. Thankfully, God steps in. And we discover this in the prophets. Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And you know it if you're a Jesus follower today, when you invited Jesus into your life, when God came into your life, He's been changing things. He's been continually spring cleaning, if you wish. He's been continually transforming you, making you more like Jesus. He's convicting you of things even just now, and He's writing His law on your heart. And this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant that He has given His Son for us, and He is changing us by the power of His Spirit. And one of the key themes and one of the final themes that I'm going to mention this morning is the sacrificial substitute. For this is the solution to sin and rebellion. When God clothed Adam and Eve in the garden in the animal skins, the death of one covered the shame of the other. We see it again in Passover, in the escape from Egypt, where the firstborn is taken, unless the blood of the lamb is on the door lintels. We see it in the temple sacrificial system, that animals had to die for the sin of the people. The Bible is directing us. Throughout the Old Testament, the Bible directs us to who will be the one who will destroy the enemy, will die to cover our shame. Who will it be that takes away our sin? Who will bring us life in all its fullness? It is Jesus. And the amazing thing is it all fits together. It all fits together, folks. It's the jigsaw. You get the outside bits, you get the borders, and you build in and you discover it all fits together.
So I think the key way to read the Old Testament, and I think we should read the Old Testament, if you've not got that already, I'll say that again, read the Old Testament because it shows why Jesus came, it shows why Jesus died. As we look through these different books of literature, these 39 different books of literature, and all the people that we meet there, we can see the promises that God has made along the way. The Old Testament is the book of the promises to come. The New Testament is the promises fulfilled. Ken Gobb, I think Gobb is the way he pronounced his name. Uh, Ken was a, a, is a pastor in America, and Ken was on his holidays. He was driving across America, and he, he's been on TV, you may know him, he, he was fairly popular. And, and he, was, he had stopped at a rest stop, and the rest stop uh, had a telephone box. And as he's walking, he's just been the, the, the garage, and he's just coming back to his car, the telephone rings. The telephone rings in the middle of nowhere, and he, he goes and he answers the phone, because, you know, that's what you do. And the operator says, collect call for Ken Gobb. And he's like, uh, so what? what? And the operator says, collect call for Ken Gobb. Are you Ken Gobb? Yes, I am. I'll take it. And so he, he takes it. And it is Millie from Pennsylvania. And Millie says to him, Ken, is that you? And he says, yes, it is me. Are you in your office in California? And he says, no, I don't live in California. I'm in Dayton, Ohio, and my office is in Oregon. And Millie says, well, how is that possible? And he says, well, how is this possible? Millie was desperate. She was going to take her own life. And she asked God for help. And God gave her these numbers to call. She called the numbers, and she got Ken in a rest stop in the middle of nowhere. And Ken could speak into her life, give her hope, help her to find Jesus and renew her life, and she was saved. You know, God is not done working. God is at work today. God is at work through His Word. He has a plan and a purpose for each of us, that we may receive His love, that we may accept the Savior's sacrifice and His call to love Him and to love our neighbors, to let Him build His kingdom through us, to rest in His covenant, to live and to know Him more and more each day. And through this Word, we discover His character. We discover His love. We discover His justice and His heart. Let Holy Spirit minister to you through it. Let God speak to you and go and change the world. You know, God's got your number. God's got your number. God's calling to you. Don't miss it. Don't miss what God has got for you. And go and live in His power and in His strength. And let's change the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much.
for this, your written word that points us to Jesus, the living word. We thank you that he has crushed the head of our enemy. He has destroyed the works of the devil. The devil is still trying to bring us in a rebellion against you, Lord. But Lord, we pray that we will cling tight to Jesus. We will allow his death to cover our shame and our sin and let us be set free for you. Lord, I am amazed how it all fits together. I'm amazed at your plan and your purpose. I pray, Lord, that we will not miss what you have for us. I pray, Lord, that we will grab hold as you call to us. Lord, you've got our number. You're calling. We pray that we will receive, that we will travel on with you and get all that you've got for us. And Lord, may we give our all for you. In your name we pray. Amen.